Just a few moments, we will return to something evil. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. This is Trevor, and for myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to episode 217. This time around, you are joined by writer-director Corina Faith. You'll hear all about her exceptional horror stunner, The Power. A time of release new and exclusive to Shudder now. Learn about the real-life haunted location and the things that happened during filming. The collaboration with the amazing Rose Williams on her brilliant performance. The magic of this wonderful score and what went into it and so much more. This one is such a fantastic movie and Karina is an absolute master. It is episode 217 and it starts right now. Something chased me to the basement. When I looked, there was no one there. Are you just making this up? No, I'm not making it up. Dad! A nurse must give of herself entirely. Sacrifice. How much are you willing to give? Who is she? Gay. What does she want? Val! Now listen to me! Angel sent by God to guide me. Be my knight and walk beside me. Be my guardian and protect me. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is a wonderfully poignant storyteller. She's a writer and director who began making acclaimed documentaries as well as short films. One of those films was 2006's Care, from which she was nominated for a BAFTA award. She went on to direct for the two-time Emmy award-winning PBS series Nature, picking up a gold medal at the New York Film and TV Festival. Also directed for Channel 4's Coming Up, was a writer on The Innocence for Netflix, and so much more. Her new film, The Power, a Shutter exclusive premiering Thursday, April 8th, is about a trainee nurse who was forced to work the night shift at an infirmary during a series of blackouts in London in the 70s. Within the darkness unravels the secrets hidden within its very walls. It's powerful, undeniably creepy, impactful, and poetic. We are honored to welcome its creator, Karina Faith. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hey. Thank you so much for having me. I love the introduction. I feel like I've actually done some stuff when you read it online. Like you that. have. It's, Very it's impressive. It's spread out over a long time, so it doesn't really feel like that, but that's nice. Yeah. Well, congratulations on this wonderfully terrifying film, first of all. Yes. So to start, we wanted to ask you about your own personal experience with the horror genre as a viewer. What is your first memory of seeing a horror film and how did it make you feel? Oh, that's a good question. And I think it is very much linked to why I ended up making a horror film as my first (laughs) feature. I think I have quite a sentimental relationship with the genre in a weird way because it links very much to intense time of friendship, teenage sleepovers, bonding together over watching scary films. I'm thinking about films like Fright Night and Nightmare on Elm Street. And they were just extreme experiences. And I guess, I guess they stayed with me. Uh, I still find it a very affecting medium. I would never watch a scary film on my own. It's still quite to do with 
sharing an experience with somebody. Plus, I just get too scared. So I can't. Do you have any recent horror finds that have become canon for you? Well, I've been looking through um, what Shad has been doing a lot, obviously, because I've joined their ranks. I absolutely loved uh, Lucky and Violation. I thought they were really, really interesting, amazing films. And La Llorona, I thought was incredible. So those are the three that really stick out for me right now. Horror does such a great job of being a tangible mirror for many of the darker aspects of the human experience. And this film does this so beautifully in how very careful and thoughtful it is in the way that it takes us to those places. Talk about how important it was to you to tell this story in this way. I guess I wanted to find something as a subject matter that was meaningful enough to make into a ghost story. I mean, in in many ways, this is quite a kind of classic ghost story and it's not really trying to break out of that mold deliberately, more use that mold to talk about some tricky territory. At the time, uh, I was wondering what uh, what to look towards. Um, there were these stories breaking all over the place in this country about institutional abuse. And I just felt really, really sad about the stories I was hearing about young people, lost lives, really, things that happened in these walls and the silence of it all. And that felt a bit like a ghost story to me. Something that people don't really want to see, but is there. And that's all obviously very real horror. And I guess I felt it needed to be handled as respectfully as possible. But also I just felt it was meaningful enough and strong enough uh, for me to have the energy to push it through and sustain the story. One of the really horrific themes is the oppression towards women. And right off the bat, you see Val is told that you cannot talk to the doctors because they're on a completely different level. And I love that this opens up conversations about that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of twofold that because that is completely how it was. And that's very much about the very rigid class system that was in our, in the UK at the time. That was a kind of across the board class experience, I think. And the hospitals were run almost in a military fashion. I read some really interesting accounts of being a young nurse and it really was like that. There's a scene in the story where nurses part to allow a matron and the chief of the hospital to walk through. And that's taken from reality that there was a kind of so much weight was put on the seniors, the senior men of the hospital. Um, But yeah, certainly, obviously, the sexual politics in the early 70s were extreme. And it's interesting to look back and see what feels like recent history, just how overt everything was and how upfront the disparity was. But I would say I chose that material because I wanted to write about now as well, obviously. So there is a through line to today. Rose's performance is so eloquent and refined, yet so vast and dangerous at the same time. Tell us a bit about the collaboration process with her to bring that character to life. Rose really wanted to play this part. I think she just really wanted to reach somewhere 
deep and take herself to a very different more extreme place than she'd been able to do in other roles so that was really important for me that this was going to be a role that she would really get something out of and she would make her own it is a extreme part and she's in pretty much every shot so it really mattered that it wasn't like me putting somebody through the mill kind of forcing them to endure this experience and she is such a kind of brave ambitious actor so she did a lot of her own research. She watched a ton of films that were maybe slightly different material than she'd seen before. And she just gobbled all that up with relish. She read a lot of historical stuff as well. So we went into it in pretty much a similar place. The collaboration was very much that I just wanted to make her feel very supported and backed up so that she could go where she needed to go with the role. Um, and the there's a quite extreme physical element to her performance. There's a big possession scene. That was something that we worked out together over a couple of days in a studio and choreographed it like a dance. And then she learned it. So by the time she came to set, she she could just do that whole sequence herself. And she also did all her own stunts. So no way, like <laughs> yeah. smashing, through the, smashing through the window uh, too. No, not that. <laughs> no, clearly that was a stunt person. I mean, all the kind of like you know the falling over bits. No, that that stunt person actually ended up with like cuts and stuff on her arms, which she thought was completely normal. I was horrified. Wow. <laughs> I did not want actual injury to occur from yeah, our film. Right? But she was like, no, whatever, it's fine. It's normal. Uh, so no, Rose didn't do that, but she did a lot of uh, the other stuff. What scene did she audition with? She auditioned with the an opening scene where she's being interviewed with Matron, which was a kind of, it's a very different part to the character and different parts of the story where I wanted to find somebody that we could empathize with very quickly because the entire the time frame is so tight for the story, it's all just one night. So we have very little time to immerse ourselves with the character of Val before she's off on this crazy journey. And I felt that Rose, she just instantly caught my eye because I just cared about her straight away. I don't know how she did that, but that is something she managed to do in the audition. And then there was a second stage to the audition, which was like how do you feel about being possessed and what would that look like to you and do you think you can go there and she just went for it and i was like okay this is gonna be fine even her voice and demeanor as a character just pulls an audience member right in i don't know it's something about that warmth that she i don't know if it's an inherent thing that she has or something that she constructed for the character or that you guys built together i think it is actually an inherent thing she's an incredibly empathetic person so I think that is naturally there. But yeah, certainly it's something we built on and something I was looking for in, in the character of Val anyway. And she got that and dug in. And, uh, and I think, yeah, she's, she, she's very charismatic. She does draw you in. I love that this movie is set in the 1970s because you're forced to strip away technology and thereby rely on working with shadows and light and darkness coupled by music and great acting. Talk about crafting the tensions and score and scares. Well, it's great not to have mobile phones for a start. That's a huge relief. <laughs> that just takes the pressure of all tensions. <laughs> Helps. Yeah, the, I suppose I really 
wanted and hoped to work with a location that had some actual atmosphere. And one of my biggest ambitions was to try and harness, capture some of the actual flavor of wherever we were going to shoot. And then we were really, really lucky to get this fantastic um, hospital just before it's closed and um, is going to be made into flats, apartments. And it really was an incredibly atmospheric and strange place with a lot of history and these huge corridors and huge spaces that we just built into and took over for the shoot. Um, So quite a lot of it was just um, wanting to carve out time in the schedule to actually see the building and get those images where you can feel that there's this tiny girl, this character in this huge space. And I think that does actually bring quite a lot of attention. And then my personal taste is just that I love things to go slowly in a story and take me somewhere without rushing. So again, that was important that we we got a flavor of what it was like to be in the dark on your own on that one night without trying to do too much too fast. There are jump scares, but hopefully they're kind of earned within the story. That was the that was the ambition. Did anything oh, yeah. <laughs> creepy happen filming at that hospital? Uh, yeah. Oh, I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, first of all, I, I don't believe in ghosts myself. There were other people in the crew who felt completely differently. I do believe in buildings retaining incredibly different atmospheres depending on what they've been used for and what's happened and so for me it was it was it felt like a really intensely tragic and sad place actually because it was an old psychiatry hospital I was more impacted by that and actually a lot of the wards we went into uh, it was like opening a time capsule because some of them hadn't been in for decades and there were still things around like files and chairs and it just there was so much kind of personal presence in the building but there were a couple of ghost stories that the night guards who had worked in that building for a very long time shared with our poor night guard who who was looking more and more freaked out as the shoot went on he was on his own having to patrol the entire building at night and he the stories were that there's a very strict matron in the hospital who appears to people which is amusing to us because that's quite a big part of our story Um, and there is supposedly an ex-patient a man who comes and puts his hands on your shoulders. And so these stories were shared with the crew and there was a little bit of, when we were doing the night shoots, sometimes there was a bit of um, excitement bubbling around. But one side of the ward seemed to be where everyone got the most jittery. And on one day we had a generator go down and then we had another one. Then we had another one. We had three generators Whoa. go down. Wow. Which from my point of view, was just a disaster because a whole day's lost shooting on a really tight schedule for a low budget indie is obviously a nightmare. But for, for a lot of other people, it was, uh, you know, it was spooky. And for the actors, because there was no power, actually, the power was just us and our generator and these huge, genuinely dark spaces that were absolutely real with real atmosphere when they had to walk far away from us with their little lanterns, they really were far away from us. And so 
I think it was pretty creepy for them sometimes just having to kind of go into that headspace and move further and further away from the crew and get swallowed up by the dark. And there was one moment where one of the actors was like, can I come back now? <laughs> and they came, yeah. The, the darkness that you see was, was real. The Boo Crew will be right back. Carrie is a new and utterly frightening motion picture. It is the story of a lonely teenage girl who possesses a strange and evil power that turns a high school prom into a nightmare. <laughs> Carrie, based on the best-selling novel, is a chilling blend of American graffiti and psycho. Carrie, from United Artists, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. I wanted to ask you about it in the wow. beautiful line in the film, a place people die in should never be allowed to get that dark. How did you turn the challenge of the absence of light into such a unique and powerful look and feel to the film? Well, my DP, Laura Bellingham, and I spent a lot of time thinking about that beforehand. The lack of light was the entire reason I was so excited about the prospect, just because there is something so timeless and beautiful and evocative about the, these kind of lamp lights and these big spaces. Um, so we knew that that was going to be a lovely element, but we spent a lot of time thinking about how darkness can feel and look and, and different ways to depict it. Because if it had all been that thick black dark that she's sometimes in, I think it would have been quite exhausting to watch. So we tried to craft kind of islands of light through the story where there's a bit more light and sometimes a different type of darkness that's a bit more impressionistic. And that was a really interesting, fun challenge because actually quite often the darkness you see in film isn't really very dark at all. You can actually see a lot of stuff. So we, we move through the whole range from pitch black around her to, to darkness that's spooky in a different way because you can sense the edges and hopefully maybe you're wondering whether something might be there that you can't see, which I also love. One of the creepiest things was the mural in the pediatric ward. Can you talk about <laughs> developing that? Like who painted it? Was it your idea? Please tell me it was not there before. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would have got pretty lucky if that was there before. <laughs> It came, the idea came from looking at archive material. Murals were quite big in children's wards at the time. So the idea came from that. And then the art department just ran with it and did a fantastic job kind of weaving the whole thing into the story. And actually it was over the, sh the course of the shoot that the imagery grew because when we were seeing what people were doing and how it actually looked, certain images like the girl with the, finger on her lips that that was kind of added in like halfway through the shoot and painted on and then became quite a big thing but the art department found a local artist they came and did it i wanted to ask you about this the map that we continually see is very ominous was yes. that constructed yeah. specifically for was it part of the building what was the story behind that yeah no the map was another bit of joy for me to create with um, the graphic designer on the project and so it doesn't 
literally represent the building we were in. That actually is a single story building with quite a kind of odd shape. But I wanted a kind of graphic that gave a sense of levels. We didn't have any levels and we had to shoot our staircase somewhere else. So <laughs> that was a little bit of hopeful trickery to encourage the thought of levels in a hospital because she's supposed to be quite high up and then there's a basement level that's far down. Also to get the idea of the palette, the colours uh, that are on the map into people's heads for the different levels of the hospital. But also it's I had this rule of three in my head and then everyone else's has a lot because there are three female characters that kind of come together in a pyramid at the end as the story plays out. And so we designed the hospital to have these three strands, these three kind of blocks that represent the girls really. I mean, that's all very detailed. I that is awesome. To that is so it was cool. really fun. It was very fun to do. Did I notice a small Stephen King Easter egg in there somewhere? Yes. You did. I'm trying to remember. Which book was she reading? Carrie. She says it's a story about a girl who has enough and pulls the whole place down. So it's my little kind of summary for my story, but it's also a massive reference because I absolutely love that story in that film. One of the things I love so much about Rose playing Val is that there was no altering of her appearance or voice with computer effects, which sometimes I think it's like cheating, you know? But all the creepiness we see and hear are the nuances of her facial reactions and subtle movements, which I thought was very effective. What were some of the challenges in bringing it all together? The biggest challenge was probably the physicality, just trying to find the right tone without it becoming... These things can really easily tip into silly. Uh, And because it's, in a way, the kind of possession tropes are so familiar, it was just trying to find moments and ways forward that felt like it fitted with our character of Val and with this story. And a lot of that was about trying to channel it all through the concept of what it's like to be a female with a history of sexual trauma, sexual harassment, any any level, any range of those things that so many women have experienced, but that all fed into our decisions about how she, uh, what happened to her and, and how she moved and, and her attitude really in the whole thing. It was quite an instinctive process between the two of us. I mean, I certainly knew that I didn't want any digital effects and that we were going to try and do it all in camera because I just think because I was trying to tell an emotional story I think it's very hard to replicate any of that um, through CGI and that we just wanted to do it through performance yeah the soundtrack is absolutely chilling it's uh, subtle at times and it ramps up into this mix of voices whispers and eerie sounds at times talk about crafting the sound design with Gazelle Twin and Max DeWardner to accompany the dark eerie atmosphere of the film I, yeah, I was so lucky to get those two and for them to collaborate. They hadn't collaborated before, but they agreed to for this. Um, they both have very different strengths. Max is an electronic composer in his own right, produces very beautiful albums of music. Gazelle Twin, Elizabeth Bernholz, is quite firmly rooted and inspired by the horror genre and has an incredible voice. And they both have quite different skill set and tones. So we just, I just asked if they were interested to work together and thankfully they were, but they put so much love and passion into this soundtrack. And I, I hope you can tell it sounds quite 
rich and different to a lot of um, scores at this budget level, really, because they just poured their heart and soul into it. And um, they actually came to the hospital while we were shooting and recorded a lot of ambient sound. And a lot of that became the bed uh, for what they were creating. And they found objects like an old trolley, some old pill bottles, real things, objects from the hospital, recorded them and then manipulated the sound in very strange ways. And and that is the kind of heart of quite a few of the pieces in the score. So it was born out of the building, which I love. That's magic. Wow. Yes. I love that. And one of my favorite uses of the score was when she's she's running down the dark hall and there's a chant. Yeah, that's a, that's Elizabeth's voice. I mean, that's she was so fantastic to have there because she uses her voice all the time. And there's something so primal and disturbing, but also kind of pretty cathartic about what she came up with, the, the sounds that she produces. So, yeah, that was fantastic to have. I see the clapper in the background behind you, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> which is awesome. Did you keep anything else from the production? Any of like the nurses' costumes or Val's necklace? Any of that stuff? Yeah, the necklace would have been a good one. I didn't think about that. They're all in some store somewhere, I think. I, I was given a copy of the map, a big one to frame on the last day of shooting. So that was my takeaway, which one day will go up. A very interesting thing happens to Val's signature costume. This wonderful nurse outfit with the pinned on watch on the right side, it decays and it transforms with her along the way. How much Mm -hmm. thought was put into that? Yeah, a lot of thought. That was another kind of joyful part of the process, thinking about subtle, more instinctive ways we could take the audience on a journey with us. So, yeah, absolutely. She starts very pristine. It's all about her pride and having managed to leave where she's come from and got to this place. And it's very pure, the costume. And then at a certain point in the story, the the colour starts to shift from a strong yellow into more and more and more drab tones until it becomes grey, which grey is the colour that we associate with our ghost in the story. So she moves from kind of being outside the hospital, almost being sucked into the colours and the palette of the hospital, and then ending up the same colour as the ghost, which is a kind of, without spoiling the story, that's quite key. And we had about, I think, eight shades, I think, of one costume. And that was uh, very much down to Holly Smart, the costume designer, and her desire to get very detailed as well. All this detail pays off, I'm telling you. It all pays off. That's great to hear. There's a very interesting reveal at the end that could set up a sequel. Are there any plans for a sequel, or do you have a treatment or a script for one? No, I don't think so. No, I feel like I want it to just be in people's imaginations where they might go with that. But for me, the character of Val and the two other girls in the story got where they needed to to be. So that's the end for me. Now, in talking about this film in press and all the things that you're doing now and now that it's getting out there, what are some of the things that have surprised you about what people are taking away from it and picking up on? 
I was hopeful that the themes would push through, you know, the wider themes of the, the toxic next nature of institutions and the dangers of silence. But you never know. You don't know what you're going to communicate really until it's done and it's too late to change anything. So I'm just pleased that so far those ideas seem to be coming across beyond it being a straightforward ghost story. That was the biggest ambition, I think, for all of us. Congratulations on this thing again and, and uh, yes. for finding that audience through Shudder. I just can't wait for people to feast their eyes on this and take this journey. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, it was so I, great. Yes. I love it. Oh, um, thank I watch you it so over much. And, over again and so like, much. notice things that I didn't see the first yeah, time. Like yeah. even I watched it twice the second time. I was like, wow, I didn't see that. That's fantastic. Well, it means a lot coming from you guys because you're the experts in this field. Awesome, Karina. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We really appreciate it. And again, congratulations. It's been a pleasure. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 217. Special thanks to our guest, Karina Faith. At time of release, her awesome new film, The Power, is exclusive to Shutter Now. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.